Today on Blue 58, the Packers are bringing fans to Lambeau Field. The Falcons are trying to bring Nathaniel Hackett to Atlanta. And we're taking a look back at 2020 month by month. Sounds like a pretty busy bye week to me. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of ThePowerSweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Very happy to be with you here for another episode. Really happy we get an opportunity to be here today. Uh, it is... It's a wild world out there. It's been a heck of a week. It's been a heck of a week here and not necessarily in a good way. That's why I'm glad that we we get to sit here and talk Packers together for a little bit. It's partly why this show is going up a little bit late. Everybody's fine here. Everybody's doing all right. But we've had an interesting week here at the Power Sweep headquarters. And boy, it's been an interesting week out in the world. Hope you are doing okay wherever you happen to be today. We've got a good one to uh, going on today. Uh, I'm really excited about the stuff we get to talk about Packers-wise today. Nathaniel Hackett is talking to the Falcons. The Packers are letting fans into Lambeau Field, and we're going to take a month-by-month look at 2020. But before we do, wanted to mention there is another post up at patreon.com slash thepowersweep. Some great links in there you might want to check out. Uh, the podcast is coming back to Patreon next week after a couple weeks off, and we're going to be making a fun announcement on that podcast. So if you have been on the fence uh, about being a Patreon supporter, you might want to check in and listen to what we've got going on there. One dollar per month gets you in the door, though you can donate any amount you want. Uh, help us keep doing what we're doing here at the Power Sweep. So, the Packers are bringing fans into Lambeau Field. I have no idea if this is a good idea or not. I am so unqualified to answer that question. But nonetheless, this news does make me smile a little bit. This is a very special Packers season. It's been special in a lot of different ways. Aaron Rodgers is breaking records. Devontae Adams is breaking records. Aaron Jones is having a very good season. Zedarius Smith is having a good season. They've signed Damon Harrison. Their defense is coming along. They are 13-3. and They are the top seed in the NFC for many, many, many other reasons. This has been a very, very exciting year, especially amidst the everything that has gone on in 2020 and now into 2021. So, just the idea that a few people get to watch this team in person makes me happy. And given where things have been going this year, virus-wise, or I guess when I say this year, I mean this season, it's a surprise that it's even come to this point. But it's a surprise that I'm welcoming, and it's going to be cool to see fans in Lambeau Field on Sunday. Now, again, there are many other implications here. There are many other factors at play, and I don't pretend to have a good grasp on what they should do. But the fact that they are doing this does make me smile because I'm happy for the people who get to see this in person. I'm also really happy for Nathaniel Hackett. He's interviewing or has interviewed already with the Atlanta Falcons for their available head coaching job. This is bad news for the Packers, first and foremost, because losing Nathaniel Hackett would be a big blow to the team. As the offensive coordinator, he's a big part of game planning with Matt LaFleur. He's also responsible uh, for their red zone or gold zone packages and uh, play designs and things like that. And the Packers have been dynamite in the red zone over the past two years. Uh, so it's a big blow in that respect if he would happen to leave. But this is also good news for the Packers. This means you're doing something well. If other people want to interview your people... Uh, potentially to bring them over to their organization. That means they like what you've got going on. And the Packers have had a lot of success over the past two years. Nathaniel Hackett has been a big part of it. And now he's getting some recognition from around the league. Even if he doesn't leave, 
it's good for him to start getting interviews. Before Matt LaFleur was hired as the Packers head coach, he also had at least one head coaching interview. Uh, That was with the Tennessee Titans, oddly enough, where he ended up being the offensive coordinator for a year before he came over to the Green Bay Packers. I personally think, just from a gut feel standpoint, that Hackett's a year away. It feels like he's the kind of guy who would really benefit from a year of, hey, everybody's talking about this Hackett guy. He's the next hot thing in coaching. Somebody should snap this guy up. The fact that he's getting a head coaching interview now kind of starts the clock on that. He has had an interesting journey to this point, and he's got some stops on his resume that make him look probably like a weaker head coaching candidate than he is. Uh, Stops in Buffalo and Jacksonville have a way of doing that for you for fairly obvious reasons until relatively recent history in Buffalo. Now Hackett has had a, a couple years in Green Bay. It just feels to me like he needs one more year, but next offseason I think he's really going to start getting some some serious head coaching buzz. But whether it's a year from now or right now, the Packers are going to have to deal with this sooner or later. And this is a good problem to have. Again, this comes with success. But this means the Packers are going to have to make one thing a big priority this year and next year and beyond, preserving their culture. I think the biggest change in the Matt LaFleur era has been cleaning out a lot of the cobwebs of the Mike McCarthy, the late Mike McCarthy era in particular. Uh, In my capacities at acmepackingcompany.com, I end up talking with uh, writers and editors from opposing team sites a lot. And one of the questions that I get frequently is what's the difference between Aaron Rodgers and the Packers now and last year and a couple years ago? And, you know, you can talk about year two of the Lafleur system and everything. That's obviously a part of it. But I think the culture change has been the real biggest thing here. Lafleur cleaned out a lot of the cobwebs, brightened the team up. It is a player's team now in the best possible way. And look, a lot of it has to do with winning. It's easy for the culture to be great when you're 26 and 6 over the past two years. But I don't think it's really debatable that the culture is vastly different now than it was a couple a couple years ago. Even the last great Packers season under McCarthy 2016, and it, it can be hard to call that a great season in a lot of ways, but the last good season they had under McCarthy, there were some serious problems there. There was a four-game losing streak. It looked like that team was on the verge of total collapse. And then they come back and make the the run the table run. But Lafleur has built something where it doesn't seem like that's even a possibility. It's really hard to envision this version of the Packers having that kind of long downswing where everything seems to be going poorly. And there's there's you know questions about how good a coach McCarthy even is or Lafleur even is at, at you know at press conferences and things like that and. Just the culture that Lafleur has built has been so amazing, and preserving that, or filling in guys, or backfilling with guys who can who can keep that going after people like Hackett leave, is going to be a big part of future success for this this Packers organization. I'm interested to see how Lafleur handles stuff like that, and when he has to start making tough decisions like that, who does he go with? The Packers have kind of bungled the assistant coach thing under him at least once. If you look at back at how they handled the, the Darren Rizzi hire slash non-hire, they got in his way, it seems. Now they're going to have opportunities to do that again 
and it'll be interesting to see what he gets to do. But in the meantime, guys like Nathaniel Hackett are going to start getting opportunities, and I'm interested to see how the Packers handle them. We got a great suggestion from a listener recently uh, about taking a look back at 2020, and I wanted to kind of combine that with an idea that I had. I want to go month by month through the year 2020 and see what the biggest stories in this Packers season were. So we're going to do that. We're going to go month by month through the entire 2020 calendar and talk about kind of how we got here. So let's start with January 2020. The first and biggest story of January 2020 is the Packers losing to the 49ers. We don't have to talk about the the nuts and bolts of that one, but suffice it to say they got ran off the field in the NFC Championship game a year ago. The B-side to that big story, though, is that the Packers decided to keep Mike Pettin. As far back as, I think, like week 12 or 13 last year, we on this podcast were talking about whether or not the Packers should keep Mike Pettin as defensive coordinator. And after the Packers lost in spectacular fashion to the 49ers, that was very, very much a, a heated question for a little while. But after a sit-down meeting between Matt LaFleur and Mike Pettin, the Packers decided to retain Pettin for better or for worse. Now the Packers' defense is seemingly coming together down the stretch, and Pettin listening to his players is a big part of that. But this story has roots dating back a year now, and it's going to continue to play a big part in the Packers' playoff push. In February 2020, the NFL officially expanded the playoff field from six teams per conference to seven. That is relevant to where the Packers are today because it also means the NFL trimmed the buys available from two to one. As you may have heard, the Packers are the only team in the NFC who has a buy this weekend. They are the number one seed. Everyone else has to play this weekend. The Packers get a free trip to the second round of the playoffs. And I wanted to circle back to this for a second because I think, uh, as we've talked about a little bit, the there is a branding issue with getting a buy in the playoffs. People, I think, overweight the losses that teams have in the divisional round after having a buy. And it does happen from time to time. And, you know, you, I think you kind of have to take them on a case-by-case basis because there are situations where it does look like a team comes out a little bit sluggish after having a bye. The 2011 Packers are kind of the the prime example of that. They looked like they were sleepwalking through that playoff loss to the Giants that year after dominating teams through the regular season. And there are some other factors at play there. Was that team really good enough to be 15-1, and one? blah, blah, blah. But overall, the Packers have been very, very good in the playoffs after a bye. So, Got a listener suggestion from Rudy, the good question asker, that said that we should maybe just talk about these as free playoff wins. Don't call it a bye. It's not quite the same as a regular season bye. Just call it a free playoff win. So the Packers have one free playoff win already, and they are 1-0 in the 2021 playoffs. That's maybe one way to look at it. In any case, dating back to February, the Packers started their journey toward being the first and only uh, team to get a bye in the playoffs this year. That's when that all started. In March, the 2020 Packers really started to come together. First, there was a rumor going around that the Packers were interested in former Atlanta Falcons tight end Austin Hooper. Uh, He ended up signing with the Cleveland Browns and ended up having a 
fairly middling season, although it's hard to say how he may have done in a different offensive system. 46 catches, 435 yards, and four touchdowns. Solid numbers, not spectacular, but definitely not quite what you would uh, be hoping for if you signed him to a big free agent contract. The Packers also made a move of their own at tight end in March of last year, releasing Jimmy Graham. I think this is in a way, one of the biggest moves of the Brian Gutekunst era because it kind of severs the bridge between the McCarthy era and the Lafleur era. So 2018, uh, it is Mike McCarthy's, or what would turn out to be Mike McCarthy's last year, and Brian Gutekunst's first year as general manager. He releases Jordy Nelson and basically fills his salary slot with Jimmy Graham. And it's fair to say that Jimmy Graham's tenure in Green Bay was pretty underwhelming. It was a square peg, an aged peg, going into a round hole. And while there were times when he was pretty good, uh, if the if the Packers schemed him correctly, he did some interesting things after the catch, but he was not what they were expecting to get uh, when they gave him the big free agent deal that they did. And in Lafleur's system, uh, it became very clear that he was an even worse fit than he was for McCarthy because he couldn't block uh, he didn't create matchups in the passing game that were favorable to the Packers, and he had no vertical elevation anymore in the red zone. So the Packers released Jimmy Graham. He goes on to sign with the Chicago Bears. The Packers used some of his cap money to sign Christian Kirksey and Rick Wagner. Packers a very solid one for two here. Uh, if you're great and tough, uh, I think you say Christian Kirksey was a, a significant miss. He has come on late, but I think it, it is fair to say overall that he has not been the contributor the Packers thought he was going to be. But Rick Wagner, I, I think I was a lot more skeptical about Wagner than I was about Kirksey. Uh, he seemed to be far more on the downswing than than Kirksey was. Uh, we were just coming off a playoff run where Jared Veld here had played a big role for the Packers, and the Packers did not seem to be interested in bringing him back. Uh, Brian Bulaga was off to Los Angeles. Rick Wagner seemed like a very, very low-level consolation prize, but he has turned out to be pretty solid at right tackle, and we won't talk about the brief time he spent at left tackle. But uh, the Packers have a nice stopgap starter in Rick Wagner. They would prefer, I think, to have Billy Turner playing there, but uh, due to a couple injuries, he is not. that's not really an option anymore. But uh, he's been just fine. Uh, hasn't been a notable downgrade on the offensive line. So a good move there, signing him last March. But most importantly, especially when it comes to timing for things that would go on to happen in 2020, the NFL and the NFL Players Association signed a new collective bargaining agreement last March. I guarantee that 99% of Packers fans and NFL fans have completely forgotten about this. But it is probably the biggest NFL story of 2020. Nobody talks about this. It is absolutely huge that a new collective bargaining agreement got done prior to the pandemic really taking hold. It was within a couple days of things starting to get really serious that this that the the players and owners put pen to paper and got this collective bargaining agreement now done. I cannot imagine the labor strife the NFL would have gone through had they waited until after the 2020 season to try to do the CBA. It is so good that they got it done when they did. Imagine trying to get labor and capital together after a pandemic 
talking about how, well, obviously the cap is going to go down because of the pandemic and the implications for that going forward into the next 10 years of a CBA. Absolutely huge that this deal got done in March of last year. Don't have to worry about it now. Anything it seems like that changes cap-wise is going to be a short-term deal. It's so good that this happened. In April, the NFL draft happened. And I want to take about a second to talk about Jordan Love and how perceptions have changed about him over the ensuing, what, eight to ten months. So at the time, I had a one-word response to the Packers selecting Jordan Love. Indefensible. I've sat with that that word for a while. I still feel that way. I still don't feel like there's any situation where this move makes sense except for Jordan Love becoming a starting caliber quarterback. The arguments around taking him, I think, are very flimsy. The arguments around trading up for him are even worse. Taking him now means that he is going to sit for at least two years. That's still true, especially with Aaron Rodgers playing at a high level. Taking him now means the value of his rookie contract, being cheap for a quarterback, is basically wasted. Taking him now means you're spending resources on a quarterback when you don't have to, instead of upgrading other parts of your roster. I've always been skeptical of the idea that the Packers were one or two players away from getting to the Super Bowl last year. I don't think any team is ever just one or two players away. There are so many other things that go into that. But they certainly weren't a quarterback away from going to the NFC or to the Super Bowl last year. They certainly aren't a quarterback away this year. The path to this being a good draft pick is very, very slim. Because the Packers traded up, spending two draft picks on him, the chance to recoup value from this pick is low, even in a trade. You're probably going to have to get at least like the 20 to 23rd overall pick to get your value back. Now, maybe he turns out to be great. Maybe you can do that. But considering that the Patriots only got a second round pick for Jimmy Garoppolo, I think the chances are pretty slim. So you're drafting an insurance policy that you're probably never going to need. And I am not at all convinced that Jordan Love is some kind of special talent hiding in the late first round. As we pointed out at the time, there are quarterbacks like Jordan Love that go in the late first round almost every single year. Drew Locke is the best recent example. Big, strong-armed, talented thrower of the football with big questions about accuracy and how he executes an offense. I mean, how is that different from Jordan Love? You can go year by year and find prospects like him every single draft year. Why this year? Why trade up for him? It just doesn't add up for me. And now if he turns out to be a good prospect, if he turns out to be the next starting quarterback for the Packers, I'll happily wear that idea or wear that label as, as getting this wrong. But I just I'm not convinced by arguments that have come out since then that, no, actually, this was a smart thing to do. It just doesn't add up for me. But that was the defining story of April of 2020. 
In May, we spent some time talking about roster sleepers, and I either was really prescient or got really lucky. I'm inclined to believe that it was the second one, but we talked about Chris Barnes being a potential roster sleeper. And since then, Barnes has gone on to be the second leading tackler on the Packers. Uh, He has started or played in 13 games as an undrafted free agent with, to be fair, um, middling measurables, I would say. 6'2", 229 pounds coming out of UCLA. A little bit of a tweener linebacker. We described him at the time, but he played in 34 games for UCLA. I think where we were ahead of the curve there was talking about opportunities at inside linebacker. That position was really unsettled last year, and honestly, it still kind of is. But heading into the 2020 season, the Packers had these four linebackers, in addition to Barnes, competing for playing time. Christian Kirksey, Kamal Martin, Ty Summers, and Curtis Bolton. Bolton was coming off an ACL. Ty Summers had played zero snaps on defense as a rookie. Kamal Martin was a rookie, and Christian Kirksey had played in, what, nine games over two years. There were opportunities there, and Chris Barnes has grabbed hold of those opportunities and run with them. He is one of the most exciting prospects that the Packers have had at inside linebacker in quite some time. That is kind of damning with faint praise, to be sure, but he's been pretty darn good in the opportunities that he's had. And again, second leading tackler on the Packers. In June, the Packers made a nice kind of under-the-radar move that has completely gone by the boards for circumstances entirely out of their control. The Packers reworked Lane Taylor's contract in June, uh, wiping about $3 million off his cap number and giving them a starting caliber guard uh, in a year when there were some questions at guard. Who are the Packers going to end up playing at right guard? Was it Taylor? Was it Billy Turner? How is it all going to work out? And this looked to be one of the best moves of the offseason in the early 2020 season. Unfortunately, it did not end up being that way for reasons we will talk about when we get to September. In July, we really started to see the big implications of the pandemic. The Packers announced that their first two preseason games would be canceled. There was a bunch of other changes that went on uh, with training camp and things like that. Hilarious to look back. But uh, Mark Murphy said he at the time that he expected to have fans at games in 2020, but no more than 10 to 12,000 fans per game. Yes, it did not exactly work out that way. Uh, there was also, for the first time, real talk about a flat cap the next spring uh, or a decrease in the cap. I'm still waiting to see what happens there. I'm still in the believe it when we see it camp as far as what the cap turns out to be. A lot of people are really convinced it's going to be $175 million. I'm semi-inclined to believe them because if that's what the owners are saying, that's probably what they've, they've already decided is going to happen, and I don't think the players have much choice but to just accept it if that's what the owners say. Uh, I let's, let's still wait and see here. I'm not entirely convinced that the, the cap doomsaying is as, as real as people want to believe it is. In August, training camp started and... This was something I'd completely forgotten about until I was looking back through my notes, but it was a super big deal at the time that the Packers changed their media guidelines. Uh, The media was no longer to report or able to report updates from practice in the same way that they had, and they were upset by this. Uh, I was among them. Um, I was not convinced that this was a good idea. Ultimately, it ended up being a little bit of a tempest in a teapot, but we do need to revisit Brian Gutekunst's 
quote about this. He said, I just think from a competitive advantage viewpoint, it was the right thing to do for the short term. Come on, Brian. Do you really think that you're losing in a, a competitive advantage by somebody reading a tweet from Matt Schneidman that Kamal Martin is running with the ones in practice on defense? I mean, I guess maybe, but we are splitting hairs in the most real sense there. Looking back, though, I do wish that somebody had challenged them on this. The worst part of the Packers changing this is how easily everybody went along with this. And I think there is a valid criticism to be made that the Packers have the entire legacy media sphere of Packers reporters and writers kind of right where they want them. I think you can make a very strong case for that. The reporters did nothing to dare the Packers to enforce these rules. The Packers were saying they could strip guys of their credentials if they had chosen to uh, flaunt these rules. I would like to see them prove that. Tom Silverstein, just to, to pull an example out of the hat, has been on the Packers beat for 30 years. You're going to decredential that guy because he refused to, I don't know, not say that some player was running with the first team? All right, go for it. Let's see what happens. Is that a good look for you? Are you really that committed to this insane idea of competitive advantages being gleaned from reporters? And look, NFL teams do look at that kind of stuff, but still, this was a silly thing to do. It was also silly to get super worked out about it. I'm still very much worried about things that aren't coming back after this pandemic is over, though. There have been changes league-wide that I still think that we have not seen the full implications of. And I'm not sure what we're all going to get back after the pandemic is over. There are also probably some changes that are going to be for the better. This pandemic, and, you know, obviously it's been terrible in many, many ways, has also brought us some good things as sports fans. One of the things I've really enjoyed this year is that what would have been locker room sessions between players and reporters are now just streamed for everybody to see. And I think people have become a lot more aware of what players are doing and saying because of that than they would have otherwise been. There are other examples, but I think that's the best one. But I'm concerned about things that have been made, changes that have been made that are just now going to be taken as an afterthought. I'm still worried about fan access at training camp. And I'm hopeful that everything will be back to the way it was at some point. I'm not crossing my fingers for 2021, but whenever changes happen in rapid succession at a sweeping scale like this, you always have to be worried about what's coming back. In September, the Packers started 4-0 and and got a big win over the Saints in there, but they also lost Lane Taylor for the season. And this is what I was alluding to back in when we were talking about June. It was, I think, an open question as to whether or not Billy Turner really deserved to start at right guard over Lane Taylor. As it stood, he ended up being hurt late in training camp. Lane Taylor gets the nod there. Uh, actually ended up on the left side uh, because the Packers needed to reshuffle their entire offensive line. 
Uh, and Elton Jenkins started week one on the right at right tackle. Don't forget that. Uh, but Taylor ends up tearing his knee in the Packers first, uh, tearing up his knee in the first game of the season, done for the year, and he is probably done in Green Bay as a result. Again, need to take a second and remember how how great Lane Taylor has been in Green Bay. What a story he has been coming in as an undrafted free agent in 2013. Uh, it's unfortunate that this is how it ends, but he seems like a great guy. And like he will ultimately be okay with whatever happens in his NFL career. Wish it was a better end in Green Bay, though. In October, the Packers suffered their first loss of 2020, not the year of the season, when they were handled by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That still is probably one of the the top two bad moments for the Packers this year. That game just was awful from start to finish. Also had some significant trade deadline speculation. Spoiler alert, no trades. Uh, It seemed for a little bit like the Will Fuller trade was a done deal. Uh, But that actually, obviously, ended up going by the wayside. And so much the better because he ended up um, being suspended uh, for a performance-enhancing drug-related thing for uh, what amounted to basically the rest of the season. And uh, the Packers would have missed out there had he been in Green Bay for that. In November... Uh, the Packers opened the month with a loss to the Vikings. Two losses in November, the the one to the Vikings and the loss to the Colts in overtime. The In retrospect, the loss to the Colts doesn't bother me nearly as much as the loss to the Vikings. Between this and the Packers kind of sleepwalking through their game against Jacksonville the next week, uh, that kind of amounts to the low point of the season, in my opinion. The Vikings totally controlled that game from start to finish, the pace of the game, the way the Packers were able to play. Plus, the Packers were also more or less done in by the weather on top of that. Uh, just a, a silly game, silly loss overall. Also had that weird 49ers game in, in November. The, the 49ers were sick and injured for that one. Uh, just a bummer of a season for the 49ers. That could have been a marquee game. Instead, it, it just kind of ends up being a a foregone conclusion that the Packers are going to win, and win they did. Uh, That was also when the Packers were were dealing with some serious uh, COVID-related issues at running back. John Lovett ended up getting a ton of snaps in the backfield for that game because A.J. Dillon and Jamal Williams were both out. Also, in late November, we started talking about playoff seeding for the first time. At that time, the Packers were the three seed in the playoffs, but spoiler alert, the big story for November, for December, excuse me, is that the Packers ended up getting the one seed. And to bring this kind of full circle, this kind of ties everything together for for 2020. In February, the Packers, or the, the NFL, excuse me, expanded the playoff field. That's a big benefit to the Packers, who ended up having to go on the road for the 2019 NFC Championship game. That game obviously was in San Francisco. I don't know how different it would have been in Green Bay. But now the Packers don't have to wonder what it would be like to go on the road in the 2020 playoffs. They will be at home for as long as they stay in uh, the postseason tournament. And that's because of what the NFL did with their postseason structure last February. The Packers are benefiting from that now. They won't have the same situation they saw last January. And now here we are, prepared to enjoy what hopefully will be a deep Packers playoff run. That's all I've got for you on this episode. Do appreciate you listening in. Hope again that you are doing well wherever you happen to be today. We're all in this together. 
Uh, we will continue to get through it, and we get to watch uh, some non-Packers playoff football w- this weekend. So that is an exciting development as well. If you enjoyed this show and you think somebody else would benefit from it as well, do me a favor and share it. That's going to help us continue to grow the conversation we are having around the Packers and ultimately help everyone, me included, become smarter Packers fans. Because as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.